who shared this morning for for all that they've shared thank you so much for being willing to be to be open to be to be vulnerable in many cases to to share what you've been going through and it's uh, it's just great to hear from people and um, you know what this year's uh, looks like for them um, if you can keep that passage open there in front of you you might find that uh, helpful you might wonder how on earth we'll sort of possibly even really cover those verses let alone uh, do it shortly but we'll try and I, I want to do it just really simply by asking um, one question um, in particular let me just get these slides up here for you that you can uh, see this is um, some artwork done by uh, Kayla Reeves, Kayla and Aidan are in a bit of a sibling rivalry at the minute for sort of, you know, selling artwork for me <laughs> to, to display. I hope it's not going to sort of bankrupt me. But I like that. I'm the bread of life, said by Jesus there. And I want to ask this one question here. What do you hear? That's really the point of all of this sort of long passage this morning is asking the question of the people who heard it then and of us as we hear the word of the Lord this morning. What do you hear? I've got here, um, this is uh, one of my very sort of favourite albums. This is uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. It's a bit cliche because it's, you know, loads of people like it and have bought it and things, but I, I really, really enjoy it. However, in this house, there is disagreement on this album as, and as to how good it is. Um, and that's to put it politely, and the scab was knocked off again yesterday as well, where Karis gave me in many words her... Uh, scathing critique of, of this album uh, which we'll come to later but the point is this is to say when I hear this album I, I really enjoy it when Karis hears it and many others too I'm sure they think I don't like it at all we might hear the exact same thing but we might not hear it the same way and that's one of the things we see I think in these verses this morning we know this in some ways in that we all perhaps have what, what we might call guilty pleasures. Some, it might be music, it might be food, it might be whatever, that things that we know at least other people might not enjoy, might not appreciate the same way as us, but, but that we enjoy. But there's that little bit of guilt to maybe to, to admit it more widely. Uh, don't be offended if someone you really like is, uh, is on this. This is a fairly generic thing I put together. So, you know, you enjoy it. You know, my guilty pleasure is Kenny Rogers, <laughs> who everything would say I should not like his music, but ah, he's got a couple of tracks I do just like. What do you hear then when you hear the word of God? The question that's been being asked in the gospel up to now, apart from one, who Jesus is, and John has been seeking to show that, one, by showing the signs that Jesus does, the amazing miracles that say something about who he is, and secondly, about his teaching, and we've come to the beginning of his I am statements, his declarations of who he is, that answer to that question, of who is he, what's he here to do, but the other is, how do you get in on this? That's what we see here in the first three verses, 43 to 46. And here's the answer, verse 44. And we've seen it before last week in verse 37. This pairs with this verse. It says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. We've heard before that it, it's only those who are called by the father who come. But now no one can come unless the father sends him. There's a certainty to that all that the father calls I, uh, I don't cast out. And in fact, actually, I raise up on the final day. There's a certainty and a confidence that we can have because of that. But there's also a necessity. We can't come unless the Father draws us. 
hopefully can share you this uh, next slide here of Leslie Newbegin, missionary and theologian, saying, "What? Why is this so? Why is it that we can only come to God unless He actually draws us? This is so because it is impossible that my perceptions, the way I see the world, the way I see myself, the way I see God, the way I see other people, distorted as they are by the fact that I make myself the centre of my world." could of themselves recognize and receive the presence of God in this man. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, it's not possible for me with my broken perceptions, my broken view of the world, to change myself. I need God of pure wisdom, holiness, to restore and to renew and to redeem my perceptions. I can't do it for myself. It's not enough for me to change it myself and so no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him nobody saves themselves nobody turns themselves around nobody decides to follow Jesus but God calls God takes our life from us and God saves us Uh, and yet here's the hope he'll raise us up on the last day but it's not just a past and a future thing it's not just in the past that there's a moment in which he calls us to himself and that in the future there'll be a moment of deliverance it's that in the in-between they'll be taught by God he calls you he saves you but he'll also teach you and guide you in the in-between and keep you going much like birth and this is the imagery that Jesus uses isn't it that coming to faith is like a new birth I don't know about you but I have little to no involvement in my birth, uh, little to no involvement <laughs> really in the births of my sons. It's just a thing that happens. Uh, of course, a lot of involvement from, <laughs> from the mother. But, but in many ways for the child, for the one on the receiving end of that, there, no real involvement. It's just a thing that happens to you. And I think that's the way in which Jesus uses this to describe that coming to faith, that it's a thing that happens to you. You're part of it, yes, but not by your own decision exactly. It just happens to you. How do you get in? Well, God calls us, and that's the only way that could happen. Secondly, we see that Jesus is a better bread. It's the argument here between verses 47 and 51. He says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. The bread of old might have fed for a day, but Jesus feeds us for eternal life. tells us that you know the fathers ate here verse 49 the manna in the wilderness and they died that bread could only do so much but the bread verse 50 here that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die that's who Jesus is this is a bread that is all sufficient that bread fed for a day but Jesus feeds for eternal life and he says here the bread that I will give verse 51 is my flesh. He could have used the word body, but he chooses to use the word flesh, the same word that he's used in the very beginning of the gospel, that the word became flesh. He wants to give us a hint back to where he had begun in the very beginning there. Jesus came down to take on flesh so that he could give up his flesh to death so that we might live forever. Jesus is better bread than any bread you've ever known. I wonder if there's things that you perhaps in the course of this year, or perhaps really more honestly even beyond that, have looked to to help you survive. Things that feed you for a moment. Maybe they work for a bit, 
Perhaps they hold off the hunger pains for just a little while. But soon enough, you wake up and the hunger returns. And it hasn't really lasted. You think it'll make you feel good. Or perhaps it'll help you feel nothing. Or perhaps it'll help you switch off or to numb pain. And maybe it does for a time. But the bread of life, Jesus, brings real, lasting freedom and joy. He's better bread. Thirdly, the proof is in the eating. I don't know if you saw perhaps working at school, helping children to cook or as a parent or a family member where, you know, kids will return with things they baked and things like that. You can give it all the nice compliments in the world, but the proof is in the eating as to how great you think it is. Now, I tried to see if I can get away very often with just giving it the great compliments, but you know, maybe avoiding having to uh, get involved in tasting it. But the proof is in the eating. The proof is in the eating in our faith. Will we feed upon Christ? Here in verses 52 to 59, there's a foreshadowing, of course, here of, of the Lord's Supper, but it's not particularly focused. They disputed among themselves here, verse 52. We start to see the reactions now of three different groups, of the wider crowd, the followers, and the twelve. Firstly, we see this wider crowd here, and they disputed. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's not a totally unreasonable question, is it? <laughs> how on earth can he be expecting us to be is, is he asking for us to become cannibals here and yet jesus now explains this uh, again in in two different ways a positive and a negative way that say the exact same thing here in verses 53 to 54 tells us here truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you i'm going to restate it but in a positive whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day to try to put this into a context of it's him saying the same thing, but in a, po a negative and then a positive, And it's supposed to really support the main thing that he's saying. Uh, I don't know where I got this inspiration from. Perhaps you'll you know, be able to work this out, but you could put it like this. Unless you finish your schoolwork, you won't be able to go on your tablet. And whoever finishes their schoolwork can go on their tablet. It's a way of saying the same thing twice and reinforcing it by putting it firstly in the negative, unless you do that, and then in a positive, whoever does that. The clear focus is you must feast, you must feed upon Jesus. Verse 53, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And in fairness, that's not an easy thing to understand, is it? But clearly he's not meaning literally to eat him. I don't think he's even meaning that you must eat communion like this. Can we really say that? That unless you take of communion, you don't know Christ, you don't have faith? No, surely it's not that important. It's important for sure, but not of that much importance. No, instead he's speaking of the spiritual reality of placing our faith in the cross of Christ, in what he has done, in giving up his flesh for us, that we might have life. And yet, each time we do that, each time we take the Lord's Supper, we do symbolically also enact our faith and enact our trust once again, that we're relying upon the gift of himself, that we believe that Jesus died giving up his body, spilling his blood for us. And so John Stott summarises it really helpfully like this, if I can get this slide up uh, 
before you hear. Just as it was not enough for the bread to be broken and the wine to be poured out, but they had to eat and drink. So it was not enough for him to die, but they had to appropriate the benefits of his death personally. The eating and drinking were and still are a vivid, active parable of receiving Christ as our crucified saviour and of feeding on him in our hearts by faith. He says it's not enough really just for it to be a reality that's just there that actually we, each one of us, have to realise that it's done for us and that we have to feed on it for ourselves that we have to trust Jesus's broken body and spilt blood for ourselves and the Lord's table gives us a great way of just symbolically and practically and physically doing what we're really believing in our hearts not believing there's anything magic in those elements there's nothing you can buy them at Tesco's or you know other supermarkets are available but it's what's going on within us Fourthly, there's a hard hearing here. You see it now, the wider crowd disputing, how can he possibly say that we must eat of his flesh, drink of his blood? Now, the slightly narrow crowd who have been following him, we see it's hard hearing for them. Um, I love looking at uh, harsh album reviews, and uh, I've got a few of them here that show that you can hear the same thing, but you receive it in a different way, and for this crowd... They don't receive what Jesus is saying in an especially positive manner. Review uh, early on of a Brian Eno record that says his record is annoying because it doesn't do anything. <laughs> Bearing in mind, whatever you may think of the album or not, I don't think I've ever heard it actually myself, but you think all the work and energy that goes into a piece of work like this, his record is annoying because it doesn't do anything. <laughs> a simple review. A rev early review of uh, the Rolling Stones Exiles on Main Street uh, describes it as spending its foresight shading the same song in as many variations as there are Rolling Stone ready-mades to fill them. <laughs> These are all albums, by the way, that went on to sell millions and millions of copies, go platinum and everything else. Uh, Weezer, Pinkerton, a hideous record. It was such a hugely painful mistake that happened in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And Led Zeppelin, in their willingness to waste their considerable talent on unworthy material, Zeppelin has produced an album which is sadly reminiscent of truth. These are all albums that are now considered classic albums. These are all reviews from Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, actually, oddly enough, all these albums are included in the list of 500 greatest albums of all time some years afterwards. Not all criticism is fair or accurate, is it? And not everyone receives everything the same way. And this is part of Karis's review of Dark Side of the Moon that I alluded to earlier. Three words, but she gave a lot more as well. It's just noise. <laughs> we agree to disagree, or at least we just disagree. This is a hard hearing for the crowd here. Not everyone who hears what Jesus says receives it in the same way. This is a hard saying. They say, how can we listen to it? And the hardness is, is not in the complexity of it so much. It's not so much that it's hard to understand as it is. It's hard to accept for them. That's certainly the way John Calvin takes this verse here. He says, do you take offence? Again, Jesus cuts through and sees through them and their complaints here. He tells them, verse 64 here, some of you don't believe. That's the problem. That's the problem. The problem isn't his teaching. It's their unbelief. It's what they hear when they hear him. It's why I told you no one can come to me unless it's granted him or gifted him by the Father. The problem is unbelief. 
not his teaching. And the source of unbelief is firstly their stubbornness, but ultimately it's also that they've not been called by God. Unless God the Father calls you, you can't come to me. And so verse 66, we see the reaction and the response. Many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The inevitable happens and Jesus allows it. He doesn't fight it. Lastly, the disciples, the 12, respond to Jesus's words. What do you hear when you hear him? And the response is very different. He said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And they say, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life and we've believed and come to know you're the Holy One of God. They've believed. And yet, and here's the encouragement for us, I think, their belief hasn't looked like perfect performance. You think of all the things the disciples have done so far, all the things the disciples will go on to do before, you know, uh, the resurrection and their faith really kind of uh, lights up. Actually, it's far from a perfect performance, isn't it? There's been plenty of doubts and there'll continue to be some doubts they've not understood everything in fact a lot of things they've not understood in fact it's arguable they haven't really totally understand jesus fully yet and yet they believe and there's the reality for our faith that it might not often look spectacular we might not always feel completely impassioned and you know full of excitement about it all the time it might sometimes be marked by a, a rather unsettling confusion at times. But sometimes we all know perhaps that feeling of knowing. We know that we're a Christian. We know that we're a believer. We know that we're a disciple of Jesus because we can't leave. To whom shall we go? To put it in the famous movie quote, from the Godfather, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. And perhaps you'll know that experience with Christ, that just when you feel as though you might be ready to give in, you might be ready to give up, you might be ready to walk away, that he pulls you back in. You might not have sometimes much else other than to know there's nowhere else I can go. <laughs> So the disciples are sticking with him because where else could we go? Whom else could we go to? It's another way of describing what Jesus has already said in last week's passage, there, verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that's given to me, but raise it up. And there's the lived experience of it. That sometimes I might not have much else, but I know I can't go anywhere else, even though I might even be tempted even though I might be frustrated, even though I might be disappointed, I can't go. That's the lived experience of the truth that Jesus has already revealed, that if the Father has called you, then he'll not lose you, but raise you up on the final day. And yet we end with this disappointment, I guess, in Jesus' reminder here that, did I not choose you, and yet one of you is the devil? that actually the worst rejection of all is yet to come. He's being rejected here by the crowd, by some of the extended followers, but the worst rejection is yet to come in one of the 12 turning their way. But yet for those who believe, those other 11, for the 
many more beyond it, of course, afterwards. We know that truth of the Father and of Jesus not losing anything of what they have through knowing that feeling of to where else could we go? So finish by asking that question at the beginning. What do you hear? What do you hear when you hear the words of Jesus? If you hear in Jesus the words of eternal life, it reveals your identity. It reveals in those who choose to feast on Jesus, the bread of life, the words of eternal life, that he is the bread of life and that you are the father's son, the father's daughter. You're placing your trust in Jesus and upon his father who has sent him. It reveals your affinity, reveals what you what you love. Because you can't love Jesus and be ambivalent about his words. It just doesn't happen. And so if you love his words, you love him. It reveals what you love as well as your identity. And thirdly, it reveals your destiny. That those who feast on him are saved eternally are fed for life here, but also life eternally too. So when you hear Jesus, as the Psalm, Psalm 95 asks us, when you hear the words of God, don't harden your hearts, but turn to him in faith. Don't be despondent if at this moment all you have is knowing to where else can I go. Well then, God has done an amazing miracle of faith and of regeneration within you fantastic let's pray that you'll feel that faith come alive and be impassioned but if that's all you have that's all you need isn't it let me pray for us and then um i, th- I think we've got a uh, we we did have a closing song but i think what we might do is we'll sing it next week because it'd be a shame not to sing it it's, it's a great song but um just for sake of time we, we we'll do that and uh, We'll close in a few moments. You'd be welcome to stay if, if you'd like to for, for breakout rooms and everything afterwards. But understand if, um, you, you know, you've, you've got to get on with, with other things and stuff. But, but let's pray and uh, short benediction for us as we close our time. Father God, I, I thank you for your grace and your goodness to us, Lord. I thank you for that encouragement that you call us to yourself. And that might seem like a negative thing at first. Well, why is it that I can't sort of do that for myself? And isn't that a worry that maybe he won't? But actually that security of knowing that all that you call, you keep. And that you do the thing that I can't do. You change the perceptions that, and, and way of viewing the world and hearing the world that, that I can't. In my brokenness and in my sin, I, I can't do that for myself. I haven't got the strength. I haven't got the holiness, the righteousness within me to do that. So, Father, I thank you that you do what I can't do. And that I can trust in your love and your gracious calling of us. Father, I thank you for you calling us. And for those of us who, despite whatever else might be going around and whatever else we may not have, that we can say this morning, do you know, I know no matter what, you have the words of eternal life. To whom else can I go? It might be tough. Things might be unanswered. Things might feel undelivered at this moment. But where else could I go? Who else better could I trust and follow? And I thank you, Lord, that what that reveals is the reality of what Jesus has taught here. 
that you don't lose any who are yours, but you keep us, you teach us, provide for us, and you will deliver us into eternity. And Father, for those who may not have come to that place yet, I thank you that can pray this morning, not just that you might help people realise it for themselves or that people might just, I don't know, be able to discover it for themselves or turn themselves around. But Father, I pray this morning and thank you that we can pray this, that 